And he looked at me and suddenly he burst into a big temper and he stood up and he looked at me and I looked at him and I said, Haram, which means, you know, it's forbidden. Um, and he, he lifted his hand as though he was going to hit me. And I looked down at the floor waiting for the, the, you know, the feeling of his hand hitting my head. Hello, this is Sally McNally. And this is Bridget, Sally's daughter. Welcome back to The Bleeding Truth. Uh, Bridget and I uh, meet here for our podcast and uh, we're trying to focus on women's health around the world. This is a little forum to lift women up and uh, draw attention to, uh, you know, different subjects that uh, maybe some people have not thought about or some people think a lot about, um, but ways that maybe we can all get together and uh, improve things. So uh, if you ever want to ask me a question, um, I'm a women's health nurse practitioner and I'm a certified nurse midwife and women's health is my jam. (laughs) And we're also going to definitely dive into a lot of Sally's crazy personal experiences while working in this field and being a part of labor rooms across, you know, different countries. So we're going to hear some of those crazy stories as well as, you know, focusing on important issues of women's health. So for answering one of our questions today, somebody asked, this person is anonymous, I'm not sure who or where they're from, but they're wondering, Sally, if you hadn't become a midwife, what other career path would you have chosen? Oh, you know, I would have been um, a photographic journalist. (laughs) Um, or a journalist Um, I I love uh, watching journalists work on the TV I'm a big CNN MSNBC fan and (laughs) I I love how they tell a story in real time and I always respect uh, the ones who go off to war and bring the stories back Um, so yeah I think that would have been a storyteller but um, uh, like a journalist, that's what I would have Didn't been. you make a documentary once? <laughs> About my parents? Yeah. Yes, yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, she made this really amazing documentary with the old big camera that you have to like lift onto your shoulder, right? Yes. yes. And just, you know, the editing of that time was really good it did so good <laughs> thanks Bridget yeah yeah I and I was so happy I, I got to make that little um movie about my parents yeah uh, yeah because it's something really special now that they're not mm-hmm. here anymore yeah so sweet I could totally see you as a journalist too <laughs> yeah I'd love to be all righty so before next we <laughs> yeah, next life <laughs> before we get into your stories for today, which are going to be probably a little bit heavier. Uh, we just want to advise listener discretion. If you know, you're squeamish or anything, uh, some of these stories can be disturbing. So just, you know, listen at your own discretion. Okay. Thanks so much, Bridget. And tonight I wanted to talk about female circumcision. And even just saying that it's really hard to speak the word female circumcision. I think childbirth class and um, when I start talking about the infants and what to expect and you know their birth plan and I say you know are you going to circumcise your baby you know and then in my mind I'm like baby girl you know why would anybody circumcise a baby girl Um, of Mm -hmm. course 
circumcision for baby boys is is widely accepted but um, even that i don't understand <laughs> yeah well yeah that's another story isn't it um but uh, when i worked in saudi arabia a lot of our patients were uh, descendants from places like sudan and ethiopia these people uh, often brought their traditions with them um, sometimes they were taken over as slaves many years ago um, but by the time I got to Saudi they had you know integrated as part of the Saudi um, you know people so some of our patients uh, we found uh, that one of the traditions uh, was female circumcision and often we'd come across like women in obstructed labor um, fully dilated baby trying to crown uh, to come oh. out uh, but the tissues would be so thick or fibrosed or tight that um, the tissue wouldn't stretch to allow the baby to come out oh wow yeah um, so there's radical uh, types of circumcision uh, where they take the labia and the, um, the of course the clitoris and uh, anything to do around the clitoral area is all gone and then it's kind of stitched back sometimes into just like a little basically tight little hole area so sometimes wow. oh my gosh I know I know <laughs> sorry I'm sorry I, I knew I'm, this episode was coming yeah. and I yeah it's it, yeah. it's so hard to, to I know. think about um, but the thing is like we, we need to talk about these things mm-hmm because they're still happening out there in the world. These tissues sometimes were so fibrous that they would cover over where the urethra is, where this mm. lady's urine would come out. So sometimes the urine would come out and trickle down and have to come out through this little hole, but they would be more inclined to have u- urinary tract infections. And then sometimes they might need to have a catheter inserted for different reasons to empty their bladder if they had an epidural or to empty their bladder if we thought the bladder was too full and their you know baby wasn't coming down different reasons but sometimes it was really hard to find their urethra because of this fibrous scarred tissue and that's just one tiny little problem that we would see um, and then uh, a couple of times the tissue was so tight and so hard for me to deliver the baby through, um, I had to do two episiotomies. Now, a lot of you women listening will know what the word episiotomy is. And it's something that rarely comes out of the mouth of a midwife. We we pride ourselves in keeping the, the woman's perineum intact as much as possible uh, sometimes we can't help it. The little tear will happen when the babies are being born. Um, but to do the episiotomies, we, we tried that as a last resort to, to deliver the baby if, for different reasons. So, um, But with, with some of these radical uh, female circumcisions, I would have to do an episiotomy, one down and one up. Uh, to mm. allow the baby out, so that was that. You can imagine how yeah. awful that was. But then, to make it even worse, once the baby's born, everything's you know. You think, wow, this is great. Um, to do the repair, the women usually insisted, put it back the way it was. Put it back the way it's so important for for their circumcision to be repaired back the way it was, and um, because uh, they would be so afraid that their 
their husband would want another wife if it didn't feel as good or the same. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And of course, these um, in some of these parts of the world, uh, the men can have more than one wives, up to four where I was. Uh, and how often that was something that they immediately started to worry about. If you're the one fixing, please put it back the way it was. So then um, I did come across some women who had uh, their vaginas were, you know, very hard and uh, wouldn't stretch. And I saw a few women having to have cesarean sections because the baby couldn't move down and into the vagina like a normal birth happens. Uh, and the reason for this there was a certain... Um, tribe or family line uh, where they would take this it's like a salt block a little salt block that the camels would um, lick on and the camels would um, then be able to retain water in their body because they had more salt Mm. Uh, so of course the uh, some of the women to get their vagina to go back after having a baby please don't anybody do this at home okay it doesn't work it's not the right thing at all in but they would mm-hmm. take some of this and put it into their vagina and and that would kind of dehydrate the vagina in some way and it would kind of shrivel and tighten up oh, around wow. that uh, after the delivery so uh, I d- did see a number of women having to have cesarean sections because of that uh, so they'd have the, they'd have the circumcision and that so that's just one little view um, so was there like a real reason for having the the female circumcisions done in the first place was it was it like an aesthetic it was to keep the women from straying there's no other reason wow. there's there's no uh, physical health benefit no, um, i mean the american not. academy of pediatrics they say you know that there's some um pointers to saying that there's a benefit to male circumcision um, and then they say, but maybe there's not enough benefits to recommend that all baby boys are circumcised. So they kind of have this political answer that maybe you should, and but it's up to you if you want to. And they kind of leave it up to the parents. But uh, for the female circumcision, there is no obvious reason other than to maybe make, in, make uh, it uncomfortable. Perhaps, well, or, or more... Uh, pleasurable for the man perhaps he thinks it it makes it more pleasurable for him um but uh, definitely it's it's about control about control ultimate control of the female that she's uh, belongs to someone that she it doesn't have an urge to stray um and wow. that's basically like a sex slave uh, now, if you are listening to me and you're circumcised, I apologize if this is making you feel bad, if you're being triggered in any way. I'm just telling you, this is my truth. This is what I've seen. Um, part of my story with female circumcision, I saw two brides, two young brides at different times while I was over there uh, coming in on their wedding night. Um, and uh, so they were soaked in blood, different women at different times, but very, very young. Um, one 
in particular stays in my mind to this day. And she must have been about 14 years old. Oh and my God. her beautiful wedding dress, all different colours, lovely. But the main colour that I could see as they were wheeling her in on the, the, the trolley, the gurney, uh, was red, red with her own blood. Um, so her, her handsome new groom um, had married her that day and then tried to have sex with her. But of course, the circumcision that she had was too tight and he couldn't, he couldn't go in there. So he just grabbed a blade and just cut her. (gasps) No. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, And so that one in particular, she was like almost uh, after bleeding out. um, And when I saw the injury, we were all rushing to try and get blood for her and to, to, you know, get the doctors to help to bring her to the OR and, and help her. And I I was mad, you know, because I knew what it was, you know, but I couldn't help myself but speak about it and ask, you know, the, the groom who was standing there with his hands actually on his hips, you know, looking at us. And I said, what happened? What happened? What happened? And the translator was trying to come to me and she was giving me the look like, don't go there. Don't give my contact. Don't stand up like that. You know, I knew what she was saying in her mind. And I was looking and I said, how could this happen? And uh, he, he said, this, this is what happened. And he lifted up like, kid you not, a razor blade. You know, oh that God. you would put in the old style razors. And he, he looked at me like, what's your problem? I couldn't have sex with my new wife. You know, th- that was the problem. And he, he looked at me like he didn't understand what could be my reaction. Like, it was bad. Anyway, um, she lived um, and we had to send her home with him. Yeah. So that, but that really struck me, you know, that... Um, that's that, that's just awful. It's yeah, just really, really cool. I'm sorry, Bridget. I'm sorry to have to tell you this. And okay. again, I'm sorry if anybody ever hears this and you are one of those women. Um, I apologize if this makes you feel anything, anything negative at all. But I'm going to go on. I'm going to tell you the rest of my story. Um, so um, I, I remembered that man's look that he was like flabbergasted that I should even question it. That So I thought, well, maybe they just don't know that this is not the way things should be. So I I got permission from, you know, the head of the hospital um, and the the uh, this uh, captain to go out to the family uh tree where it was like there was a Bedouin camp way way out in the desert um, and it, it was this particular family line like they had the one name and there was like thousands of them but oh, wow. uh, so I uh, got permission to go out to do help um, promotion right and to um, bring some books and you know bring some flyers that we could make and you know advise them on their health practices mm-hmm. so I didn't tell them exactly what my plan was but I wanted to go and talk about female circumcision that it was wrong so I got armed with my two armed guards and a translator <laughs> and me and this little pickup truck and off we went into the desert and we drove for like two hours I guess to this area um, and uh, when we got there uh, the translator explained that I was here with the 
health promotion ideas. <laughs> and uh, I, I needed to speak to whoever was in charge. So there was this really big, ornate tent. Now, I felt like I was back in the 1500s. Um, there was this beautiful big tent with like tassels and um, there was camels off to the side and there was a Mercedes uh, right there with the, you know, a boom box plugged into the battery. And it, it was like <laughs> uh, and then there was like, uh, you know, um, a little fire where they were making tea um, and there was a hubbly bubbly. Hubbly bubbly is like something that they would smoke um and Hubbly, it was hot. I remember it being super hot and I was there in my big long black cloak, the habaya and my black scarf. And uh, I was wearing a yashmak because this was, you know, um, pretty dangerous place where I was going. Yashmak is like a little covering on your face. So you just look out over your, your over this over um, see just your eyes, basically. So um, I went in and um the guy, uh, so he would be the father figure of this Bedouin tribe. Um, he was sitting there and I came up and I knelt down in front of him. And uh, the girls, uh, the translator said, OK, uh, tell him what you want and I'll translate it. So I immediately opened my anatomy book to uh, <laughs> to female anatomy right to wow you got right to the point (laughs) I did I knew I wouldn't have much time um and I wanted to like make it there was a few people standing at the entrance and the room was like full of men the room the tent there was like maybe 12 other men sitting there so I started pointing to the picture uh saying that this was normal anatomy and first of all, the translator kind of stuttered a little bit. And then I looked at her, I said, tell him, this is so important. You've got to tell him. And she said in Arabic, you know, that this is what the female anatomy should look like. And he looked at, at the book and he looked at me and I pulled down my yashmak and I pointed at it and I said, and this is a part of her body that should be left intact. And I looked at the translator and I said, tell him, tell him, so important. And she was looking a little scared and she she said it to him and he kind of stood up and then he sat down and he didn't know what to say. And I said, I'm here to tell you that some of the women that we see from your family come very damaged, that somebody is destroying this part of their body. And I want you, you, the leader, to teach the women that this area of their body should be left alone. And I looked at the translator and I was like, do it, girl, do it, help me here. And she did it. She she said it to him and he looked at the picture and he looked at me and suddenly he burst into a big temper and he stood up and he looked at me and I looked at him and I said, haram, which means, you know, it's forbidden. Um, and he he lifted his hand as though he was going to hit me. And I looked down at the floor waiting for the, the, you know, the feeling of his hand hitting my head, but it didn't come. And then he just started shouting, get out, get out, get out. And uh, so the the soldiers were like, we're going now. Let's go. Everyone go. And uh, I got I gathered up my things and I I got up and I was like feeling kind of hot with the temper, but also like kind of happy that I, you know, said my piece 
And I was thinking, I should have done it a different way. I should have done it the soft way of leading into it rather than going straight for the juggler, you know. But that guy was a bit passionate in those days. But then I turned and I came to come out and I saw the soldiers going out the, the gate or out the door. And then I saw the translator and then it was my turn. And there was two women standing right there beside me and I, instead of going right out I stopped and I looked at them and they looked at me and we knew I knew and they knew the truth they heard it they heard it I knew it that they heard it and we both three of us looked at each other and it was like a, it was like a telepathic communication and I wow. was like okay somebody heard and uh, I went off back home and of course I got chastised that I did the wrong thing and it wasn't it was meant to be about like eating the right food not but whatever <laughs> um I um, to this day I can remember that feeling of the women at the the doorway wow. of the home that that maybe maybe they you know didn't circumcise their baby maybe who knows but um they might not have gotten a choice yeah. But again, if you're somebody who's circumcised by the rare chance that somebody might listen to this who's who's been injured in this way, I am sorry that somebody did this to you. I am sorry. I wasn't there to help you. I'm sorry that no one saved you from having that happen to you. And if you, you yourself, if you can look around and see, if you can save some little girl, do it. Take the chance. Do it. You know, um, this is 2022. Women don't have to live like this anymore. We need to look around us, see where we can help. There's a lot we can do. Thanks for listening to The Bleeding Truth. This is the bleeding truth. <laughs> this is Sally's bleeding truth. Wow. Sorry, it's a bit heavy. It's okay. I think it's it's really powerful that, you know, you you were brave enough to go and speak like that in such a dangerous situation. And, oh, you know, that was nearly 30 years ago and you still want to, to talk about it and share this and shine a light on the fact that it's still occurring in certain parts of the world. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, only women bleed. Um, we have enough going on with the way our body has to bleed every month. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe that doesn't have to happen. You know, maybe there's another way women can live. That they can live free and they can enjoy their bodies and uh, feel the the joy of being turned on or the joy of being attracted to somebody and, and having your body tell you, you know, that um, mm -hmm. that it's not a bad thing, you know. I'm sure it was all about total and utter control. Could have been nothing else. Anyway, that's... Wow. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Thank you for for sharing so much about that. I know it might be hard to also relive some of it and you know have to think about those you know hard situations that you dealt with as well because even just seeing it happen to other people can really probably take a toll yeah. as well 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing yet again once a, an, another amazing, you know, snippet of your life. Thanks thank for you. listening to me. Thanks a yeah. million. Thanks a million. And please share this podcast with anybody else that you think, you know, could find some benefit of some of Sally's stories or would like to get some advice. You can always ask Sally questions. We have a a question forum in the description below and we will answer those live on the podcast. And yeah, we will see you in the next one. Please like and subscribe. Thank you guys so much for all the the support for Sally. Thank you so much. Thank you for the guys who've already subscribed. We really appreciate it. Yes, you guys are the the heroes. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks a million.